This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. About 18 years ago, 2004, January, Susan and I... Uh, were driving her up to New Jersey. She was committed to spending a year in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And we had the wild idea, let's just leave Louisville and let's drive all night. Let's not stop. Let's just drive all the way through. And So we stopped in Cincinnati. And back in these days, I worked at Starbucks. And so you get a good discount on your drinks, you know. So I got two Venti, translation large, two large caramel lattes and Taco Bell. <laughs> Some of you are like, this is not going well, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so off we go, venti caramel lattes, Taco Bell, and somewhere around Pennsylvania, we have a problem. We actually had two problems. The first one is the one that you would expect, two venti caramel lattes and Taco Bell, okay? Now, let me be clear, this was before smartphones, so there was no digital map directing us to the nearest restroom. We're dependent upon a paper map. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in this position where you need a restroom with great desperation and you begin to drive really fast. That was the problem, okay? So here we go. This is a problem. The second problem that developed was our, um, the, little, the little windshield wiper sprayers froze over. It was January, Okay. So, so here we are, and Susan and I, this was 18 years ago, so it was like, I just had to make sure I had this story right, and as I began to recount it last night, Susan was like, that's not the way it happened, that's not, that is not the way it happened. She's like, that's a preacher story, you know, that is not the way, and the way I remember the story was, I'm driving down the interstate, and I've got the, the thing of windshield wiper fluid, and I'm trying to pour it out the window onto the window, and she's like, I don't remember that part, you know, I'm like, that's the way I remember it going down, and um, the way she instructed that it went down last night. She said, we pulled over to the side of the road. We poured it on the, because when your little things are frozen over, the Big Mac truck comes by, sprays your windshield, you try to wipe, it just gets worse, right? It just coats it on there. You know what I'm talking about? And um, so we pull over on the side of the road. We, you know, pour the, the container of the windshield wiper fluid on the window, clear the windows, get back on the interstate. I've got the bathroom issue happening, right? So we're driving fast with no smartphone, paper map, and off we go on the interstate, and here comes another Big Mac truck splashing the window, windshield wiper, it coats it, you know. We're pulled back over, pouring it back on the window, and um, this, is, this is a picture of what I discovered in my driveway the other morning. It's coming. It's coming. And you know, the, the, the thing about this is, the thing about this is, is like one little swipe of the windshield wiper doesn't always clear it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'll turn my windshield wipers on in the driveway. I'll pull out into the road to head out, and, and, it's, and it's like immediately it appears magically back up on the windshield. And I'm like, do it again, do it again. Do you, have you been there? This is what's really coming. Look at, look at this. You know that's coming, right? It's not coming for my wife because she parks in the garage, right? Some of you, it's not coming for you either, but it comes for me all the time. And often, often, I come out, got to start the car, got to heat it up, windshield wiper, throwing the juice on it, right? And it takes a lot of, of windshield wiping to clear the window so that we can see. 
so that we can see. I love that image because in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul prays that the Christians in Ephesus would have their hearts, the eyes of their hearts, enlightened. The eyes of their hearts enlightened. So if the, if, the, if, their, if the eyes of their hearts needed to be enlightened, what must have been the posture of the eyes of the heart? It must have been darkened. So, so there's like a, like a film, like a filter on our hearts that has to be removed. It has to be washed clean. It has to be um, cleared away for us to be able to see what God wants us to see. Now let me tell you, I was sitting in my car the car was on, and my windshield wipers may be going, and I may still not be able to see. Indeed, the windshield wipers may be making it worse. But what does that mean? Well, that means you may be here this morning, and you may have just gotten through singing. You are worthy of it all. And you may have been here last Sunday, sitting right where you're sitting, or in that area, and listening to God's Word, and, and, and yet... There may be a filter on your heart where you can't see what God wants you to see. I'm, I'm titling this morning's sermon um, this, Help Them, Us, and Me See You, Lord. And the reason I'm titling it, Help Them, Us, Me See You, Lord, is because the Apostle Paul is about to tell us a prayer that he's praying for the Ephesians. And this is a prayer that we can pray for anybody. Some of you this morning, you've got a wayward relative. Somebody that, that grew, maybe grew up in church hearing the gospel, following Jesus, but they're now a prodigal son or a prodigal da daughter. They're not walking with the Lord. This is, we're going to see great prayer to pray uh, for them. But it's not just a prayer to pray for the wayward. It's, uh, many here at Real Life are brand new believers You've come to know Jesus in a personal way. You've experienced the, the forgiveness of your sins here in this church. And this is a prayer that we can pray for new believers that are on fire for the Lord. We're going to see this prayer. This is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves. A prayer that we can pray for us today. Maybe you're a seasoned Christian. You've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And this is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves. So I want you to see it in, with me in chapter 1 of verse 15 and following. What is, what is this prayer? What does Paul pray? And uh, let's, let's read it, dig in together this morning. So the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Christians in Ephesus, and he writes this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what was he praying? Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Would you pray with me? And just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just ask God to speak to you? Just ask God to speak to your heart. Father, through your sacred scriptures and by your spirit, speak to us, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, there's a phrase in this opening that really captures me. Um, we A couple of weeks ago, we looked at verses uh, 15 and 16. And verse 16 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he begins to tell us uh, what he was praying for them. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That phrase, the father of glory, is really interesting to me. It picks up on this Old Testament idea of where God was, was called the God of glory. And um, some of us saw some glory last night, didn't we? <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are crazy. What was the score? I was going to say, open your Bibles to Ephesians 52, verse 49, but I thought, ah. <laughs> so 10 years ago, if this was the Sunday after UT beat Bama, um, 10 years ago, the sermon would have gone something like this. I, uh, I saw some of your Instagrams last night, and I wish the Lord Jesus got as much praise as you give the UT Vols. That was 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, I watched some of you last night give your unreserved, undignified adoration and affection to a football team. And only the Lord Jesus is worthy of your worship. That, that's the way I would have preached this sermon 10 years ago. I'm going to do it a little different this morning. Um, what we experienced last night communicates something to us about the way God made us. There's a longing wired into each of us to experience glory. The way God designed us, we all desire to be identified with, to be enveloped in, to behold and to experience something so grand and so majestic, it's just glory. A little glimpse of it, we saw, look at this picture, a little glimpse of it last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at this next one. Now, there's some folks in the building this morning that were on that field. I saw you. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Listen. The, the, as we understand God is the father of glory, let's understand what that means, okay? Um, there are men and women that were gifted with strength and ability to build Neyland Stadium. They had a skill set that was given to them by God that as they grew, God gave them a mind and a physical body to where they could roll up their sleeves and work long days with lots of sweat and muscles bulging to build the stadium. And there were unbelievable athletes that we would say they've worked out in the weight room, and yes, they did, and um, they've, they've guarded their diets and they've ate right, and yes, they did, and yet it was God who knit them together in their mother's wombs, creating their muscle fibers so that when they worked out in the weight room, it responded in such a way that they could run like lightning. Last night, we beheld glory, and we longed for it, and we enjoyed it, and it blew some of our minds. I see some maroon in the, 
in the room this morning, and we're sorry, just give anybody wearing maroon a hug this morning. We beheld this glory, and, and listen, what, what I don't want to say to you, church, this morning is um, give less of your affection to the football team. What, what I want to say to you is listen to the longing in your heart and soul, and don't stop at the mere echo of glory. Because what we beheld last night, it was just a shadow of what's to come. Why? Because God has revealed himself to us as the father of glory. So everything that we experience, whether it's UT beating Bama in the final seconds of the game, or whether it's the Grand Canyon, has somehow come to us from God our maker who created it all and sustains it all and upholds it all. Therefore, he is the father of glory. And all the little glories that we experience in this, in this world, it just points us to a greater majesty, to a greater glory that one day we can experience. Here's the deal. We may not beat Bama next year. I know, I know, I know. I mean, how many years has it been since we beat them, right? Here's the deal. The glory that we experienced last night will fade, but there is a glory of the father of glory that will not fade. And we were made for that glory. We were made to experience that glory. So the glory that we enjoyed last night, some of us, um, it doesn't need to be necessarily rebuked. It just needs to be listened to. That longing needs to be listened to, and we need to not stop at the shadow. But go on by it. And know this this morning, know this this morning. God has revealed himself as the father of glory and that means there's something infinitely great for us to experience and to enjoy. And last night was, it was just an echo of it. Just an echo of it. Well, Paul gives four things that he, want, that he prays that he wants us to see and know. He's praying for the Ephesians, Christians. And so there's four things that, that Paul wants us to see and to know. And the first thing that he wants us to see and know is God. And, and it's important, why was Paul praying that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, not darkened, not with a filter over them, not with a film over them? Why was he praying that? It's because this, we don't naturally see the majesty of God in our natural state. We don't naturally perceive the wonders of God. That's not a natural thing that happens in our, life, our, our, our lives. Our hearts are naturally darkened, and they need to be supernaturally enlightened. That's why Paul prays, Lord, enlighten their hearts. And so let's look at this prayer together. Before he gets to the having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he, he prays in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying that we might have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, knowing God brings about a, a spirit of wisdom. And knowing God can only happen by God revealing himself to us. If you know God personally here this morning, you know him because God in his infinite grace and mercy chose to reveal himself to you. You see that. And he prays that, that we might know God with a spirit of wisdom. We live in a world that has gone mad. Absolutely gone mad. We live in a world that is terribly confused on basic matters of things like gender. We, we desperately need wisdom 
from God to be able to know what is good and what is true and what is pure. A spirit of wisdom comes in knowing God. Now, I might ask you this morning if you know um, LeBron James, and you might be like, I know who LeBron James is. And I may press a little further and say, no, do you know LeBron James? You may say, well, I actually saw LeBron James play like three times I saw him play. And I might press it and say, no, do you know LeBron James? You might say, well, actually, I got to give him a high five as he was coming out onto the court one time. I, I, but, I, but I don't know him. I don't know him. And Paul is praying for these Christians that they wouldn't just know about God, that they wouldn't just know what their grandmother taught them is true about God, that they wouldn't just know intellectual things, but that they might have an intimate spiritual encounter with God so that they could say, I know him. And in knowing God, that's where wisdom comes from. And if God can be known, is it not foolish to not get to know him? And Paul prays that that they would know God. This is what we ought to pray for ourselves. We're not born into this world with an intimate knowledge of, uh, of experiencing God. The heavens declare his glory. We know that there's true things about him, but this reliance upon him is where we, is where we see this, this great experiencing of God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He had a great vision, but what Paul is praying is that we might see the majesty, the glory, and the goodness of God with the eyes of our heart by faith and experiencing him by faith. So the first thing that we can pray for those that are wayward, pray for those new new Christians, pray for those seasoned Christians, is that we would see and know God. And next thing that Paul prays is that we would see and know hope that we would see and know hope. Look at this with me in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is hope? Hope is confident expectation. What are we confidently expecting? (laughs) What is it? Well, we're confidently expectant that this world, if you're a Christian, is as close to hell that you'll ever get. And we are confident in that. And we're confidently expected that on our hard days, better days are ahead. We're confidently expected that when we get a bad diagnosis, we have hope that there's going to be a better day. It may be a better day in this life or it may be a better day to come. It's an eternal promise that gives us an unshakable, confident expectation. That's what hope is. Um, in, in other words, Christians are not intending to... When, when, when suffering comes into our life, it's not the ultimate goal for us to beg God to take the suffering away and to make life more comfortable. No, God wants to do something far more profound in our life. God wants to do something far more powerful in our life. And God wants to give us hope in the midst of suffering. And when a watching world sees people hope, have this confident expectation that that diagnosis, it's not shaking me. That, that job termination, I have hope in the midst of it. That broken relationship, I have hope in the midst of it. People are amazed and they're drawn in like a magnet to that. They want that kind of hope. Because so many, they're just living for what's in this world. And this world is not our home. And King Jesus has promised a new heavens and a new earth. And he's going to return. And that is our hope. Turn over to Romans 8. And let's see how Paul writes about it in Romans 8. Romans 8 is an amazing chapter in the sacred scriptures. Romans 8 teaches us that the Holy Spirit's always praying for us. Romans 8 teaches us that Jesus, God's Son, is at the right hand interceding and praying for us. 
Romans 8 teaches us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not things seen, not things unseen, not angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 is that great chapter that teaches us all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, it's just chock full. And in verse 18, this is what Paul writes about suffering and hope. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What is Paul saying? What Paul is saying is that sin introduced chaos into the cosmos. It's not just that our personal individual lives are messed up. It's like the whole world is in chaos. But he's writing that we not dismay, though we live in a world gone mad. Look at what he says. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, there's something better coming. It's the culmination of our adoption. The Father, the Father from eternity past decreed our adoption. God the Son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and purchased our adoption. God the Holy Spirit has applied our adoption to our life. And Jesus the Son will one day return and bring about the full culmination of our adoption. Forever sons and daughters of God with no tears in our eyes. For in this hope we were saved. Verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We get it backwards often, don't we, church? How, how, do, how do prayer requests typically go? <laughs> in our community groups and in our small groups and in our Bible studies, how do prayer requests typically go? Prayer requests typically go, I'm going through this hard time and I want it to stop. I'm experiencing this difficulty and I want it to be less difficult. I'm experiencing this pain. And listen, by all means, our God is so compassionate to us. He hears our cries from the pit. He lifts us up out of the pit. But don't miss this. God's ultimate goal is not just to make his his people comfortable in this world. But his goal is to display his glory through his people as they have hope and they're patient in the midst of tribulation. So how ought our prayer requests go? What may be, I'm suffering And I want the light of Christ to shine through my hope. I I want what Jesus purchased for me on the cross to actually be seen by my friends and by my family and by my coworkers. I don't want to be overwhelmed and taken back and wallowing in the corner in all of my spirit of complaining, in a spirit of dismay. I want to demonstrate that I have confidence expectation that it will be better one day soon. Paul was praying that 
for the, for the Ephesian Christians. Why was he praying that? He was praying it because that doesn't just come like super, like that doesn't just come like naturally. That comes supernaturally. And we too need the Spirit of God. It's, it's, like, it's like the windshield of our heart. It gets coated over with the sufferings of this life, doesn't it? It gets frozen over by all those unmet expectations that we have, all those unfulfilled longings that we have in life. The windshield of our hearts gets frozen, and we need the Spirit of God to melt it and to clean it so that we can see the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. This kind of hope is available. It's available to you and me today. So Paul prays that we might see and know God, that we might see and know hope, but he also prays that we might see and know our own value. That he might see, that we might see and know our own value. Look at verse 18, the second part of verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, just a casual read through this, you might think it's talking about our inheritance that we're going to receive uh, when Jesus comes back. But pay closer attention to what, the way Paul words this. Look at it with me again. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? In other words, Jesus is getting an inheritance. He, he's, earlier in chapter 1, it talks about our inheritance. We're getting an inheritance, but Jesus is also getting an inheritance. Look at this. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the what? Saints. Where is Jesus' inheritance? In the saints. In, in us. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, Jesus got the raw deal, didn't he? <laughs> His inheritance is us. Grow, growing up in my grandma's house, if we were ever like playing with something or, you know, enjoying something, um, she would stop and she would say, do, do, you, do you want that when I'm gone? We'll write your name on it. We'll write your name on the bottom of it, you know. And so growing up, this would happen all the time. We would just write our names on the bottom of stuff. And can I just tell you, like, how mad I would get when I would, like, turn something over and see somebody else's name on it? Do you know what I'm talking about? They beat me to it. And this happened all, you know, all the time. And, you know, Jesus has written his name on you and me. We were created in the image of God. Listen, we're so valuable to Jesus that he gave his life to secure us. Some of you, you beat yourself up night and day about not being worthy, not being valuable. You need to turn the volume down on that and turn the volume up on the Lord that he loves you, he adopted you, he chose you, he turned you over and wrote his name on you because he wants you as his inheritance. You're a treasure to King Jesus. Don't let the devil or any bad day tell you otherwise. You are a treasure to the Lord Jesus. And he wanted you so bad that he gave his life. And God, through his power, raised him from the dead. Glory, hallelujah. Paul prays that we would see that. That we would see that. And there's all kinds of messages in this world. You know, some of them it might be the voice of a boss. Some of them might be the voice of a parent. Some of them might just be like the voice of our culture at large of like, if you're going to have value, you've got to accomplish A, B, and C. Listen, Jesus looks upon you in all the mess that we are, and he says, you. I love you. I want you. You are my inheritance that I'm looking forward to. And just as, just as someone has to die to pass on an inheritance. Jesus died to secure us. 
as as an inheritance. Lastly, we see that Paul prays that we would see and know power. That we would see and know power. Look at verse 19 with me. He's he's listing all these things that he's praying. Their eyes of the heart might be enlightened. And in verse 19, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, I want you to see what Paul's doing here because he's, he, Paul's going to great lengths for us to understand the power that's available to us through the Spirit of Jesus. The word power there is where we get our word dynamite. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? We, we use dynamite to blow immovable mountains up, don't we? Well, what kind of dynamite power is available to us in the Holy Spirit? Well, he describes it as the immeasurable greatness of his power. So Paul didn't just stop to say dynamite is available to you. He said immeasurable, great dynamite is available to you. And I'm so glad he did. Do you know why? You know why I'm so glad he did? It's because some of us this morning, bitterness has our heart in bondage. Some of us this morning, jealousy has our heart in bondage. Some of us this morning, anxiety has our heart in in bondage. For some of us this morning, our heart is in bondage to fear. And Paul has a good word for us and a prayer for us that the eyes of our heart might see powers available. By the Spirit of God who lives in us, Power's available to overcome anxiety, to overcome addiction, to break that jealousy in your heart, to break that bitterness in your heart. Power is available to us through Jesus. And as if saying the immeasurable greatness of his power, as if that wasn't enough, he goes on, look at this with me, in verse 18, rather verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So that's where we receive this power is through faith in Christ. Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. (laughs) It's like Paul uses every creative word to describe the power that's available to us. That that word uh, working is where we get our word energy. The Greek word working. So he says dynamite, energy, great might. So that every one of us would know that timidity, that doubt, that greed, that lust, that addiction, it's no match for Jesus Christ. No match. No match. Listen, teenagers, some of you are desperate for your friends to affirm you and you're in bondage to what everybody thinks of you and Jesus wants to set you free by his spirit today that you, are no, you no longer have to live to what everybody else says, but you can just align your heart and life with who God says you are. And he says you are his inheritance. He turned you over, wrote his name on you, and he can't wait to come back and get you. So quit living for the praise and the affirmation of men. You've got the power of God to set you free from that. Some of our teenagers, listen. Right now, what rules your mind and heart is your image the way you look, because that's the value of our world. The Lord loves you just the way he made you. And you don't need to, you don't need to 
make yourself look different. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to show yourself off and subject your bodies to get attention. You can just abide in the love of God. And it's the, it, it's the Spirit of God that sets you free from feeling like you have to do that. Some of, some of you were abused by a parent. And Craig Nelson, three weeks ago, was baptized right out here in the lobby. And with his permission, we shared his story that he was abused by his dad. And God gave him the grace to forgive his dad. Some of you need to hear this morning that the power of God to forgive the person that hurt you the worst, it's available to you in Jesus Christ. You don't have to live in bondage of bitterness. You can be set free and forgive them. It doesn't happen naturally. It happens supernaturally. And that's why Paul prayed that it would happen. Do you see it? Do you see it? So, what, so what's lying to you and what's got a foothold in your life? What's lying to you? Man, the Lord Jesus. He just, wants, he just wants you to. It is for freedom that he has set us free. He wants us to walk in freedom. Um, why, why does Paul pray? Why does Paul pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the power? Why does he pray that? Well, first, it's so that the Christians would be blessed. So they would experience this great freedom. So that their, their life would be a life of victory. Let me just camp out on that just for a second. Um, our mantra here at Real Life is keep it real. We'll try that again. Our mantra here at Real Life is keep it real. Okay, that was good, but you don't get credit because we did that twice, right? Um, we, live at, we live in a day where it's kind of... Um, in vogue to like just be confessional about the mess that we are. Do you, I don't know if you've seen that or not. And so we can get this wrong in real life where we can say, you know, like we just want to be like authentically broken. And what I want to say to you this morning is it's okay to not be okay here. But when you put your hand, when you put yourself in the hands of Jesus, he heals what is broken. And, and if, you're, if you're a hot mess this morning, uh, you put yourself in the hands of Jesus, and he brings order to hot messes. And if you're the first to say, you know what, I'm just a work in progress, amen, amen. We'll see later in the book of Ephesians that we are actually his workmanship. So, so we don't, we don't want to just wallow in our self-pity and be like authentically confessional about how broken we are. We want to acknowledge that, and then we want to step into the presence of God and experience the power of God. So one of the reasons Paul was praying this for the church is because he wanted them to experience the blessing of the freedom that Jesus purchased for them. But he also wanted the church to grow. So he's praying that they would know the power of God in their life so that when their friends and their coworkers see the transformation that's happened in their life, it would be a magnetic draw for outsiders to go, whoa, she's different. Whoa, he's different. Whoa, what happened to him? Through the power of God. And it doesn't, listen, it doesn't happen from us gritting our teeth and just willing ourselves to it. It happens from us saying, pray for me. Pray that I'll see and know the power of God. 
Getting in his presence and saying, God, I must have your power poured out in the fullness of your spirit in my life. And incrementally, the Lord will pour out his power on our life. I need it. Oh, my goodness, I need it. I need his power. I could stand up here and wax and wane for 30 minutes, but if it doesn't have the power of God, it's nothing. It's nothing. And you can launch out into Monday morning. If you don't have the power of God, what is it? That's why Paul prays, oh, that the hearts, the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, that we might know the power. So, friends, where do you need the power of God to be unleashed? Paul prayed for it. So maybe this morning as we sing, you want to make your way back to the prayer station. Maybe you want to just make your way across the room to somebody that you know would would pray for you. Maybe you just want to kneel right here and pray that God would open the eyes of your heart so that you might see and know God, that you might see and know the hope, you might see and know how valuable you are, and you might see and know the power that's available for us in Jesus Christ. He goes on to ground this, and we're going to unpack this next week, but he goes on to ground this in verse 20. He says, Verse 19, he says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So some of you this morning, like you're hearing about this power, but you're a little skeptical. I don't know that the power of God is available to me to step out of this or step into that or break free from that. And listen, the the God who makes you, the God who made you and the God who loves you, He wanted you to be able to hear this without any doubt that God can set you free from whatever struggle, from whatever bondage that holds you captive. And he showed us that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was so much that God was doing through the resurrection of Jesus, but one of the things, one of the little things that he was doing was so that we would understand, okay, a dead man came back to life. What's harder than that? What's harder than a dead man coming back to life? Nothing. Nothing. And it's that power that's available to you and me. Hallelujah. So let's just pray that God would unleash it in all of our lives. Amen. Let's just pray that we, Monday through Saturday, would be the best PR for Jesus this community has ever seen. Amen. That our lives would would truly be transformed by his power. We wouldn't wallow in self-pity, but we would step into victory. That's what God has for us, church. Victory is what God has for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Lord, we don't understand it fully, but we receive it and we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, fill us today. Fill us with your power. Transform us with your power. Lord, build our life on this rock-solid hope. Thank you for choosing us as your inheritance. Oh, God, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's worship him. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.